Boker Tov, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. Welcome this morning as we are launching into our Torah study, the Aliyah of the Day. And today is the third day of the week, and therefore we're looking at the third Aliyah of Parashah Lechacha. So glad you're here with me this morning. Hope everybody is doing well and being blessed. Parashah Lechacha, the third Aliyah, picks up uh, after Abraham uh, has descended to Mitzrayim, and he is uh, there with his wife, and he is, uh, that's where he lied to the Pharaoh about who his wife was, so that he could get his life spared. He actually, it's interesting because uh, in as much as we know uh, how holy and righteous Abraham uh, was, and what a great Zadok he was. Um, we have this this uh, <clears throat> situation in which he actually puts his wife in very significant danger um, in order to protect himself, uh, in order to protect his own life. You know, he goes to Egypt and he tells his wife, listen, you know, if they find out you're my wife because you're so beautiful, uh, they're probably going to kill me to take you into the harem. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to lie and say that you're my sister so that my life can be spared. Not, and, and of course, you know, that means that they would take her into the harem and of course... It'd be terrible, you know. She would be obviously violated, and so on, and so on. And um, he ends up, you know, the sages bring this out. It's like he he ends up bringing uh, bringing a potential very serious sin upon himself, upon his wife, anyway. Uh, be, all because he's trying to remain alive, which I think that most people would say. Well, I mean, you know, who who could blame who could blame uh, uh, Avraham for uh, wanting to avoid death, which I totally understand, totally get. Um, but nevertheless, it does bring up a um, issue, and that here we have the righteous Avraham, who God is speaking to on a very uh, personal level, a very intimate level, who's the father of our faith. And yet, it can't be glossed over that he created this sin. So how do we reconcile those two things? And I think this is very important. And it goes along with an insight that the Rebetzin and I were reading from Rabbi Tversky this morning. As y'all, as y'all know, we have these, uh, these devotionals. And so um, it goes along with an insight about what it means to be perfect. And I think that this was and is very important for all of us because... Our idea of perfection and uh, what perfection actually means is quite different. And in my opinion, because we don't understand what it means to be quote-unquote perfect, it leads people astray and it causes them to lose their faith, okay? Not just in themselves, but in other people. Let me explain. Because this is instructive, 
as we're looking at um, Abraham and his descent to Egypt, that, that's actually part of the second Aliyah, but I, I just want to cover the story because it's, it's instructive in, in, a, in a great many ways. But let's deal with this issue of perfection. As, we, as, Rabbi, as our Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Tversky was bringing down this morning, what it means to be perfect in the Jewish mind, in the biblical mind, by the way, just understand that biblical and Jewish are synonymous. So we talk about, and, and that's, I think that's important, just as an aside, not to get off on that rabbit trail, but a lot of people try to distinguish biblical from Judaism as if they're different or opposite one another. For instance, you hear people sometimes say, well, I, I quote, biblically kosher as opposed to kosher, which implies that the Jewish version of kosher isn't exactly biblical, which, of course, is nonsense. It's ridiculous foolishness. Kosher is biblical. There's no such thing as, quote, biblically kosher. Um, but I digress. Uh, but anyway, according to the Jewish mind, somebody who is perfect doesn't mean that they're flawless. It doesn't mean that you're flawless. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. It does not mean that you won't sin after you've entered the covenant. That's not what that means. It means that, according to Rabbi Tversky bringing down the sources, someone who is perfect means that you have made a conscious choice to follow Hashem and to make his Torah your, uh, you know, your standard. And if you've done that, and if you're striving to uh, make that your life, to, uh, to, you know, subdue your will in favor of his will, if you've done that, you are perfect. You're, in fact... According to the sages, you are perfectly righteous. Now, for most of us, myself included, <laughs> for me to suggest that I'm perfectly righteous, <laughs> blushing would not be sufficient. Uh, you know, I mean... Anybody that would say to me, "Oh, Rabbi, you're just such a you're such a zodic," I guess, uh, stop, stop. Well, it's healthy to have such an attitude, so long as you're not self-deprecating. That's that's um, that's not healthy. But it's healthy to have the attitude of, of "Hey, I'm not really zodic." But according to the Bible, you are. Why? Because you have chosen to make Hashem your king and to make His word your law. And you are striving to abide by that. And here's the thing. When we fail and when we sin, when we have faults, and all of, all of us do, and please don't fall into the trap of trying to compare your sin to somebody else's as if yours isn't quite so bad. Please don't do that. Because here, many of you know this already, but just in case there's somebody new, you, you might be looking at your neighbor who has committed some sin that you think is really, really bad, okay? And maybe you've never done that before, whatever it is. But in your mind, oh my gosh, it's terrible. Can you believe it? I can't believe they did that. That is so crazy. 
I've never done that. I, I don't think I ever would do that. I'm so disappointed in them. But here's the thing. If you've ever spoken Lashon Horah, meaning that you ever gossiped about somebody or told something about them, whether it was true or not, doesn't matter. If you've ever spoken Lashon Horah, gossip, slander, tell-bearing, which is actually the worst, you have committed idolatry, adultery, and murder. Now, I'm going to I'm going to venture to guess that every one of us has spoken Lashon Hara. In fact, the Shliach Yaakov in his letter, the brother of Mashiach said, "Who can tame the tongue?" He go, he points out in his letter that Lashon Hara is the most difficult sin of all to get under control. Our mouth. And it is. And the reason it's such a difficult sin is because it is such an evil sin. Murder, idolatry, even adultery is included in this sin. Especially idolatry and murder. Why? Because idolatry, because idolatry ultimately is the worship of self. Therefore, if we are speaking with Shanara, we are basically just worshiping ourselves or magnifying ourselves. It's murder because when we speak Lashon Hara, we destroy the character of the person. And sometimes, very often, physically. Because now the person that we're speaking to, Lashon Hara, now they don't want to have anything to do with the person. Maybe they were going to hire them or, or, or befriend them, and now they don't want nothing to do with them. So now we've murdered that person in the sense that they're not going to get the job, or they're not going to get the fellowship, or they're not going to get, you know, the consideration. And, it, and we did it, really, you want to know why we do it? To puff up ourselves, to make ourselves look so great. So my point is simply this. If you're looking at somebody else, you're like, you know, their sin is terrible. Just understand, you've done worse. And ladies and gentlemen, that's number one. Number one, we have to understand we've done worse. Please don't ever think you didn't do worse. You have. I have. Number two, this, and this is also equally important. Understand that if it was not for the, for the grace of God in your life, you'd be doing exactly what they're doing. Please don't think otherwise. Please do not think otherwise. This is why the scripture says that the, just when you think you can't fall, that's exactly when you'll fall. The moment you think you're just too good, that's when you get destroyed. You know, there's actually YouTube clips about this. If you look at uh, boxing matches or MMA matches or any kind of match, any kind of physical match like that. The, 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 the fighter who comes, who comes in <clears throat> and is super confident and arrogant and making fun of their opponent is usually the one that gets, gets their lights knocked out in like 10 seconds. So that's how it works for us. So let's look at, let's look at this idea. This idea of what it means to be perfectly righteous is that we... Um, is that we uh, are Zadikim because we choose to follow God's will. That's what makes us perfectly righteous. Okay? So here we have Avraham. 
he is a great Zadik. He is the father of our faith. He is the first Jew. He is an amazing figure. And yet, he lies and almost puts his wife in jeopardy. Now, the, the, moral, the, the end result of this story of him lying in Egypt was that he comes up out of Egypt with great wealth, which actually leads us to another part. Let me just get back to that in a second. But let me first say that the coming up out of Egypt is the illusion of, of the Zadok who falls. Remember, by Zadok, I'm talking about you. The Zadok who falls into Mitzrayim. What's the word Mitzrayim mean? Mitzrayim means constriction. Because why? Because sin constricts. Okay? Sin constricts. We fall into uh, constriction. And uh, that's what that's where we fall into sin. There's, there is a paradox as it relates to sin, one that we've covered in times past. But here's the paradox. On the one hand, we don't want to sin. We shouldn't, should not sin. We should strive. That should, that should scare us. And paradoxically, and this is brought down in the, in the Talmud, Barakot, I think it's 52b, or A, anyway, it's close there. It's in Barakot, I know, in the Talmud. But anyway, it brings down that the one who sinned and made tshuva is higher than the one who never sinned. So the paradox of sin is, is that on the one hand, we don't want to sin, it's very bad to sin, okay, and on the other hand, it is the process of sin followed by teshuva that actually elevates us higher. So if we look at the story of Avraham, Avraham makes a descent to Egypt, which is allegorically about the Zadok who falls. But he comes up out of Egypt far wealthier than he did before he fell into Egypt. Now, that's the paradox. Why is this the case? Why is it that Hashem does this? And the answer, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we sin and we make tshuva, we are perfectly righteous. Why? Because making teshuva is somebody who has made a decision that God is their God and his Torah is, his, is their law. So, the, see, the process, the even, the even the thought of us wanting to make teshuva means that we are connecting to Hashem. And, and, and Hashem is our righteousness. Therefore, when we connect to Him, we have, we have righteousness. So, <clears throat> on the one hand, we don't want to sin. We should strive not to sin. And yet the paradox is that when we sin, we, we get elevated higher. That is the exact opposite, ladies and gentlemen, of what you and I think normally as human beings. Normally as human beings, we think that 
when you sin, you yeah, you can come back, but you're going to be at a lower status. You're not going to be at a higher status. You know, you're yes, you can get up and dust yourself off, but you know, it's going to take you many, many, many years to uh, you know, get back to where you were. Thank you, Rebetzin. Rebetzin, Barakot 34B. So I was, I was wrong about the uh, location. It's Barakot 34B. So that's what we normally think. We normally think that once you fall, oh man, that's, that's too bad. You fell from grace. Remember, you, you, we've heard people say that, right? Fall from grace. Right? And... Uh, we think it's going to take you many, many, many years, you know, to uh, to get back. But that's not, that's the kingdom of man, but it's not the kingdom of God. An example of this also is Aaron, Hakohen, Hakohen Gadol. Aaron made the golden calf. Now, that's unbelievable. You know, here's Aaron, he's the he's the Kohen Gadol, he's he was the mouthpiece of Moshe during the in, the entire experience of the Exodus. And by the way, I meant to say yesterday, and I I forgot to mention it, because I was talking about how things take time and we think that, you know, um God just needs to act fast. And a lot of people don't realize is that um is that the entire Exodus experience lasted an entire year. An entire year. And, and those, those people don't realize that. They think it happened in a, in a month or something like that. No, it was an entire year, long process. But in any case, Aaron is the mouthpiece of Moshe. He's right there with all of the, uh, all of the miracles of the Exodus. He's right there at the parting of the Red Sea. And yet, it's Aaron... Who makes the golden calf? Now, you know, some commentators have tried to say, well, you know, he was just bluffing or he was, he was, um, he was stalling for time. And I, I appreciate, you know, that's all about judging favorably. And I appreciate that. And, and that's all nice and everything, but, but it's also kind of silly. You don't stall for time by building an idol, Okay. You don't stall for time by involving yourself in some grievous sin like that. <clears throat> um, it, it was a sin. It was a big sin. It was huge. We would expect that Hashem, after such a sin, would replace Aaron. You and I would have replaced Aaron. We would have shown up and said, Aaron... You're out. My goodness, brother. Wow, how could you possibly serve as a Kohen Hagadol when you've done such a thing? It is ridiculous. How can we possibly uh, do this? But isn't it remarkable that Hashem did not replace Aaron? Now, what do we do with that? We have to recognize that this is the um, 
this is the miracle of God. It's the paradox of sin. Okay? Now, another aspect of this sin to Egypt, talking about our patience and, and long-suffering and Hashem's patience with us, is that, um, you know, here God says, um, He says to, to, to Avraham, Lechacha, go for yourself to a land I'm going to show you. Go out for your own good. This is going to be amazing. Um, Abraham gets his family together. Gets his wife together. Hey, honey, we're going to go. God says go. Sarai says, where are we going? He says, well, I've got good news and bad news. All right, what's the good news? The good news is God said go, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be for our own good. Baruch Hashem. All right, what's the bad news? Bad news is I have no idea where we're going. And then they get to Eretz Israel. Um... Uh, and when they get there, there is a drought. There is a famine. Uh, Messianic Hebrew says, Moses did not go into the promised land because of sin. Actually, that's not true at all. Him not going into the promised land had nothing to do, actually, with his sin, as the sages bring down. It had to do with his ability to redeem people. Um, so, actually, he gets to the Holy Land, and there's a drought. There's a famine. There's a famine. And he has to now go to Egypt. Um, that's crazy. How many of you, how many of us, I say you, whenever I say you, I mean us, but I'll try to say us. <laughs> how many of us have been, have been given a promise by God, and you're like, yes, I've got this promise by God, Baruch Hashem. And you start out, and then next thing you know, you find yourself in Egypt. Hey, what happened? What about Yosef? Yosef has a promise from God. He has dreams from God. And next thing you know, he finds himself a slave, and then in prison. Wait, wait, what's going on here? And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a test. Just understand that sometimes to get higher, we have to go lower. That's another paradox. And sometimes to gain altitude, you have to go lower. That's a paradox. Sometimes to get stronger, you have to use less weight. It's a paradox. And just understand that this happened at, to our forefathers and the sages bring down that what happened to the forefathers is a portent for their, for their children. Meaning that as it happened to them, will happen to us as well. God calls you somewhere and you find yourself, hey, God's called me to green pastures. Baruch Hashem. And you tell all your friends, this is what God said to me. Praise God. And we're all excited. And we're davening with you. And next thing you know, you find yourself in a desert. You didn't miss God. In order to get you to the high green pasture, he has to first take you through the desert. That's what happened to Avraham Avinu. So, <clears throat> looking at, I'm going to go back and look at something here in, in chapter 13. He comes up out of Egypt. So it says in chapter 13, this is just before the third Aliyah anyway. So Avram, Avraham went up from Egypt 
he with his wife and all that was his, and lots with him to the south. Now Avraham was very laden with livestock, silver, and gold. So he came up out of Egypt super wealthy. When our heart is right, when we have the right bitikon, when we have the right amuna, when we have... Um, when we have a, a full trust in Hashem, we will come up out of those out of those Mitzrayim moments. We will come out of them wealthy, spiritually wealthy, maybe even re, literally wealthy, maybe perhaps. Whatever God's desire. The point is, is that we've got to hold fast. And ladies and gentlemen, that is not easy. That is not easy. It's not easy to hold fast in the middle of a storm. Can I just tell you, by the way, this is why we need community. Because sometimes we're down in the dumps. We're low. And we need one another to help us keep our faith. It's, it, 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 it's normal. Look, when you're the one going through the trial, it is hard to say, to act like Tigger. Woohoo! This is wonderful. Oh, look. Hey, guys, y'all know I'm getting ready to go to the fiery furnace? All right. Yeah. Pop the cork on the bottle. It's hard for us to do that. We're scared. We're concerned. We don't know what's going to happen. We need our brothers and sisters who say, look, I know you're going through the fiery furnace, but just know God is going to redeem you. God is going to help you. Hashem is going to rescue. We're here praying and davening for you. And you get encouraged by them. So, and we know that God is going to bless us when we hold fast. It goes on to say in the third verse, he proceeded on his journey. And this is what the insight says. On his return, he paid back his debts. But had he left Canaan in such dire, but had he left Canaan in such dire straits that he needed to go into debt? And whom could he count on to give credit to a fugitive in his, own, in his conditions? But Rashi remarks contain another idea. He says, Whether, wherever he went, Abraham was proclaiming the power of God, creator of heaven and earth. And calling men to his service. So, what, what's remarkable about the um, what's remarkable about the uh, the Midrash Rabbah and other the Talmud is that it brings down that Abraham was a very Abraham and Sarah both were, were dynamic evangelists. Obviously, not Christian evangelists. But you know, don't you know? But they were proclaiming the service of God. This was their mission. And ladies and gentlemen, when we are mission-minded, God will help us. Because listen, He sent us here to fulfill our mission. It was His idea. It was His idea. Hashem sent me and my wife here. To fulfill our mission. And it was he was he who called us. And he it was him who called you. All of our souls are the same age. 
You might be 20, you might be 50, doesn't matter. Our soul is the same age because all of our souls were created at the same time and they're in the, the well of souls, so to speak, in Shemayim. And God called your soul and he called my soul at whatever point in history and said, I need you to go to the earth now because your mission is thus. And when we connect, therefore, to our mission and say, Hashem, I, and listen, this is the best prayer you can ever pray. Can I, can I just share this prayer with you? The best prayer you can ever pray, and of course you got to mean it. This is not, you can't trick God. Please understand. But the best prayer you can ever pray is, Hashem, I need you to deliver me from this situation. Financial, an illness, relationship problem, whatever. Because it is distracting me from my mission. Because I'm having to worry about my electric bill, because I'm having to worry about my marriage, because I'm having to worry about this other situation, it is distracting me from my mission to serve you. This is exactly the prayer that D David Hamelech prayed. God, deliver me. Don't deliver me just so I can sit on a beach in a uh, hammock and drink a pina colada from a coconut. That's not why I want to be delivered. I don't want to be delivered so I can feel the warm sea breeze on my face and just go, ah, life is good. That's not why I want to be delivered. I want to be delivered because this is distracting me from serving you. That's why we need to come up out of Egypt. We need to come up out of Egypt, or we need to want to come out of Egypt so we can serve God. This is why when our people were brought out of Egypt, we went to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. Too many people want to be delivered for this, for, and set free for freedom's sake. But that's not why God sets us free. God sets us free to serve him. Because if we're set free just to be free, we will end up destroying ourselves. If left to our own devices, we'll, end up, we'll destroy ourselves. So, so it says here in the insights that... Uh, Avraham Avinu came up out of Egypt and was setting about his mission. He says here, Many, though he's preaching, but many did not believe him and asked him, If Avram is telling the truth, why does this God let his faithful servant wander about endlessly? Why doesn't he reward him with happiness and calm and rest? Abraham could not answer these questions, all the more so as the wanderings were inflicted upon him as test of love of his God. Remember, this is all a test. And so he remained in the debt of his fellows, so to speak. But when he returned rich and famous, thanks to a miracle with Pharaoh, which everyone knew about, he was able to, quote, pay back the debt. So it wasn't talking about a literal debt, but rather a spiritual debt. And when he came back and it was proven that these wanderings were all God's will, and it was a test of his faithfulness, and he came back rich and powerful, suddenly the people no longer had negative things to say. One more insight here, and then we'll conclude. In verse 4, it says that... Uh, that he went to, to Bethel, between Bethel and Ai, to the side of the altar which he had erected there at first, and there Abraham invoked Hashem by name. So El Makom Hamizbeach, to the site of the altar. 
The text seems to want to say that Abraham returned to the place where he had previously built an altar, thinking that pagans had sullied the altar with offerings to idols during his absence. Abraham did not want to sacrifice on it. He, he did away with it and sacrificed instead on the site of the altar. So the words El Makom Hazmi's Beak can also imply that Abraham spiritually regained the level of the altar which he had previously built. All the riches and knowledge which he gained, all the honor given to him by the king of Egypt, were not able to cause his absolute fidelity to waver even for an instant. So in other words, his newfound wealth and newfound fame did not cause him to become arrogant and forget his mission. A lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, we get in trouble and we get caught in sin because we've simply forgotten why we're here. We think we're here for the new car. We think we're here for the new house. We think we're here for the new TV. We think we're here for the new job. We think we're here for the new promotion. We think we're here for the, 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 the yacht or whatever. That's not why we're here. We're here to serve Hashem. And when we forget that, that's when we're in the danger zone. It says, Abraham returned straight away to the place he belonged, to the place of the altar. This is, by the way, is exactly what happened to King David. King David, the, the, the issue of the plague that happened because David counted Israel. The scripture says that God enticed, Hashem enticed David to sin by doing a census. You know, it says that. It says that Hashem enticed him to sin. Why? Because David was off track. David was really having fun being a warrior. But he had forgotten what his chief responsibility was. So what happened was, is that Hashem enticed him to, to, to count the uh, census, which caused a plague. And as a result... David made teshuva, and he went and bought the threshing floor and built the altar of the temple. In other words, you could say David, just like Abraham, returned to the place of the altar. The sin led them to the place of the altar, which, by the way, was the place, ostensibly, where Mashiach was crucified. Return to the place of the crucifixion. You have to come back to your mission. If you're, if, you, if you're caught up in sin, make the shuva and come back to the place of your mission. As has been mentioned, the site was Mount Moriah, from where later the Torah was spread to, out, to all the world. That All the world is going to hear the Torah from Mount, Mount Moriah. Here Abraham, the father of all believers, wants to reside this is his headquarters. So the headquarters of Judaism, the headquarters of uh, Abraham Avinu is Mount Moriah. Okay? He has but one goal in life. Likro b'shem Adonai. To likro b'shem Adonai. To proclaim the name of God. That was Abraham's whole mission was to proclaim the name of God. And scarcely back from the exile, which had bestowed, bestowed upon him fame and fortune, he immediately takes up his missionary work once again. So in other words, here's the other danger. We can fall to Mitzrayim and have a terrible fall 
but then our our coming up out of Mitzrayim can be wonderful and glorious where God bestows upon us great fame and fortune, so to speak. But guess what? We can't allow sin to detract us from our mission, nor can we allow success to detract us from our mission. We have to be like Abraham. We have to return to the place of the altar. And that's where we have success. Think good and it will be good. Todah for joining me. It's been a pleasure to be with all of you. Thank you so much for being part of the Aliyah and part of this uh, ministry. I want to encourage everyone to continue to tithe and support Sar Shalom Synagogue and, and, uh, and, and Lapid Judaism. Uh, your support is extremely valuable, uh, extremely helpful, and it's so needed and so necessary. And without you, we can't keep the torch burning. So Tadarabah for that. God bless each and every one of you. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow with God's help for the fourth Aliyah of Parashah Lech Lecha. Shalom Aleichem.